you're listening to a Saturday episode of FluxPod, Patreon exclusive episode, I thank you for subscribing. This episode is part two of my conversation with Sean T. Collins that I recorded about a week or so from me speaking to you right now. This one, we're going to just chat a lot about uh, music, largely from like the late 90s and early aughts, I guess. We kind of started talking about that playlist I made that's uh, 2000, 2002, and a lot of artists in that. But here's just a quick list of some artists we'll hit in this conversation. Uh, Primal Scream, Peaches, Godspeed You Black Emperor, Cake, Kiss, Killers, Moby, Deftones, Queen of the Stone Age, Live, Foo Fighters, Helmet, Benny Mardonas, Ozier, Kenny Rogers, you know, and some other stuff. We'll, we'll hit a bunch of things. Folks, the hangout chat with me and the writer Sean T. Collins. Uh, you can get uh, Sean's new book about uh, the movie Roadhouse called Pain Don't Hurt. Uh, you can find that online. It sells out. Like they keep making small editions and they all sell out. But if you are uh, on top of it. You can get yourself a copy. It is a fantastic book. And you know Sean writes for all over. He writes all over for everybody. You know he, he writes largely about TV for a living. You know, I think at the moment, uh, probably the biggest thing he's doing, TV critic-wise, is Falcon and the Winter Soldier over at Cider. Uh, he's doing something at the New York Times. I don't know. Just look it up. Sean's out there. You know, Sean's doing great stuff. He's a great friend and a great writer. And uh, here we are talking for about an hour. All right. Enjoy. you just made that that playlist of songs right okay yeah that's right we want to talk a little bit about that the uh the, yeah the 2000 2002 that this weird window of time we were we're, we're college age young men we're, we're on that bubble where we're not totally gen x we're not really we're definitely not millennials in that yeah. weird zone you and i yeah yeah this is no man's land. But yeah, it's, it's like I think the only people who have like real uh, sentimentality for that era would have to be around our own age because I don't think the, the actual Gen X people care about that time. And the millennials, like if, if it doesn't really directly involve them, it doesn't happen at all. I loved that. that that's unfair, period, but it's not totally false. No, no, I think you're basically right. Like it's a it's a weird liminal zone. Yeah, I think it's also, you know, the, in, in making that playlist, trying to get across that is like this time where like it, it, it it's like a divorce within rock music, right? Because mm-hmm. you have like all, all the stuff that would be, would be kind of more suburban or more hard rock stuff that kind of goes in one direction. The brainier indie stuff moves t- further into brainier college stuff. You know, it's just it kind of moves along class lines. It's just this whole sh- sh- shift. And and I think a lot of these things were only kind of held together just by the expediency of the market where like MTV would see the value in having like, you know, not too many steps removed between like pavement and Radiohead and uh, tool and uh, space hog. Like all of those things would have to be in the same conversation <laughs> to exist on commercial radio and MTV. But as those yeah. things became irrelevant and uh, the internet became more of a, of, uh, the, the, the way people were getting this music and pitchfork was, was rising up. 
it just kind of shifted all the gravity in, in both directions. So the, the radio stuff became more radio and the indie stuff became more indie. Yes, it was a it was a time of bifurcation. Yeah, I think, and and just for my personal music listening habits during that time period, like I was straddling the line, I would say. And know, I, so. I think the other thing that I that, that did not mention just in that thing is like, it's also the point where the the anxiety within a certain portion of rock musicians that like uh, guitar rock is over or it's, or it's, or it's dying out. And, uh, let's start messing with electronic stuff. That's, that's the future. Right. And, yeah. and they weren't totally wrong, but it's also a self-fulfilling prophecy, I think to a large extent, but, oh, yeah, but, but obviously kid a is probably the most famous record to come out of that anxiety that, and probably the LCD sound system catalog. Yeah. But, you know, I have that, uh, you know, on the playlist, I have uh, Primal Scream, Exterminator next to the Radiohead Kid A. And I think those two records are, uh, to me, those are kind of like twin albums, even more so than Kid A is with Amnesiac. Exterminator was just an untouchable. I, I don't even, it, it was just this, 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 this <laughs> monolith of a statement that was just sort of sent down from on high. And like, and it's funny because you, you hear it now and it's just like, oh, God. He saw the future. This, yeah, this, he sure did. This, you know, <laughs> this guy, you know, who I don't think is especially bright, like Bobby Gillespie. Yeah. He's, he's a smacked out junkie. Uh, but he's like, I think Primal Scream or like they're, they're very like trend hoppy, eclectic uh, guys, but they had their finger on the pulse, not just of then, but they, they kind of in some way knew what the the twenty the two thousands I'm sorry the the twenty first century was going to be like like this if you listen to the, that song Exterminator it sounds like he's describing twenty twenty. All, all kinds of lines on that record that are like, you know, all jails are concentration camps, all judges are bought. Yep, that's that's an a military industrial. Uh, the obsession with pills. Democracy. Yes. Yep. Yep. Ah, oh, God. Pills, yeah. man. I fucking memorized the exact oh, number sick and fuck, sick, sick, sick of sick, sick fucks. Yep. Yep. I used to have that. You've down got that cold. memorized. And you've got. Born I had it down, memorized. <laughs> I had it down cold. Yes, and I had board slipper memorized too, for sure. Those are my two. Those are like 
my pinnacle achievements as a lyric memorizer. <laughs> yeah. And, and this is, uh, yeah, your approximation of, of being a British junkie is, is <laughs> memorizing those things. But it was such transitional, like just for my personal listening habits, like on the one hand, I was still listening to stuff that I think had a lot in common with what I was listening to in the nineties, you know, it's still listening to tool. Um, I mean, it's a Def- big year for tool. Yeah. I think Deftone, a perfect circle Radiohead. But then like immediately after that you had, or, or slightly contemporaneously with it, you had electro clash. You had the sort of birth of like the kind of new rock and roll, the New Yorkish type stuff. Interpol. Strokes. Yeah. 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 Um, I was listening to, you know, I was listening to all of it kind of interchangeably. Like it, it's funny to see it all pop up on a playlist. Cause like, what, 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 what do you feel has aged really well in, in your estimation? Um, I think, huh, that's a good question. I think that LCD sound systems records are pretty untouchable. That, that's another thing like uh, we're talking about with Blood Zeppelin where like uh, he, he just knew how to make it sound perfect. Yeah. He, like yeah. James Murphy has such an incredible skill for engineering, even beyond his skill as a musician or as a songwriter. Like those records sound so good and they're so it's like, just like with Led Zeppelin, it's just so effective. He knew exactly how to get those songs across and to not date them necessarily. Yeah. Yeah, this is, I mean, because so much of it is is aping stuff that he liked, um, but sort of which, which I guess you say, I guess you could say the same thing about uh, Led Zepp too. Yeah, yeah, or even Radiohead. Like, where would Kid A be without you know Apex fucking Twin. Apex Twin and Talk Talk? Like, th- th- there you have it. Almost. Um, yeah, I mean, there's other bits too, but yeah, th- th- that's the general gist of it. Yeah, plus I, I, Radiohead, right, <laughs> plus an essential right. Radioheadness that cannot be uh, really mimicked very you well. You can't write well. that off. Yeah, I mean, I think that I think that's all aged very well. I think certain aspects of Electric Clash have aged very well. Uh, Peaches, people adore, which I think is wonderful. I think it's great that that Peaches record has had such an extended life. Um, you know, people think, just you know people have just not written enough songs about fucking the pain away. You think that no. they have, but they really have not. No, I mean, it, it, it speaks to a need <laughs> to fuck the pain away. You got to yeah. do that. I mean, I think the, the secret weapon of that song is always like that weird, like live recording ambience that she puts in the mix where someone's just kind of shouting. And it really feels like you are in this dingy club yeah. having this dirty experience. Stay in school, cause it's a very- 
It feels it's a it's one of the sleaziest songs I can think of. Fucking yeah. pain away. It's oh, really she it, it reminds lights in 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 sleaze on that record in a way that still feels like uh, transgressive in a way that I think even other yes. similar things from that time don't. I think part of it is because of who she is. I mean, you know, it, it, for one, it's a woman. It's a woman who's not a, a traditionally. Uh, her, there's nothing traditional about her as a woman she's also like in her mid to late 30s it's just like everything is everything about her is breaking rules there's nothing about her that conformed to anything and she just went for it which is i I mean that's a hard thing to to i mean i'm always that's always going to appeal to me someone who just like went for broke and 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 let all their let their freak flag fly really and so much wisdom too s-i-s-i-u-d stay in school school is the best best. agreed (laughs) honestly it reminds me of like um it reminded even at the time reminded me of a lot of like the wax tracks industrial stuff you know the kind of the kinkier sexier weirder like not weirder but like revolting cocks and my throat my life with the throw kill cult and things like yeah. that. The, the, I, I feel like a lot of that stuff has some irony to it but P- peaches was like no no irony <laughs> that's true you're right you're there's right. no wink <laughs> she i mean there's such a there's a sense of humor uh, that that's clearly there but no 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 she's not uh, you know this is this is not you know uh silly we are we yeah. are here like yeah it's uh there's nothing ironic about the fucking on those records no. And I think, you know, here, here's an interesting thing. At the same time that all this was going on with Electric Clash and, and sort of the new New York music, post-rock was a thing. And yep. I come from, you know, as I've said before, a kind of cross-denominational relationship where I was into Electric Clash and like the New York stuff. And my partner, Julia Graffair, is a huge post-rock person. She has, as far as I know, never actually heard a Stroke song. Um, you know, not willingly, no, and it's just not something that interests or Interpol or any of it, Electro Clash, any of it. I'm pretty sure Julia knows Interpol. No, on the contrary, and um, I, and I, I'm I kind of in this, a, a lot of that stuff is on that playlist, but it's kind of tucked away towards the end because I actually intend to do a, a deeper dive into that stuff down right. the line. And it's like on the same by the same token, like I couldn't name your do make say think song if my life depended on it. Oh, yeah, but you're, in, you're a Godspeed head. Well, that was what I was going to say. What we did have in common was Godspeed You Black Emperor, um, and and that song Storm, the first song on Lift Your Skinny Fists, like Antennas to Heaven. That really poleaxed me when I heard it for the first time. Like that I remember gold. going to see uh, Godspeed with you and Julia when they played. At uh, Prospect Park a few years ago. Yeah, that was, it was great. I, I remember that audience being horrible and Julia just like really wanting to murder them. <laughs> to be fair, it's not the first time where I've seen Julia really want to murder a large number of people. But but I mean, uh, but, you know, in fairness, like this was a free concert, so people right. just went to the thing not knowing what they're doing or just only barely knowing it. This is not like the ideal conditions of a show where everyone is on the same page of of reverence. So it is not the ideal conditions to see a Godspeed You Black Emperor no. show at all. Yeah, you really want to commune with a Godspeed show. You don't want to be like surrounded by like 
lovely senior citizen couples who are like, now who is this again? Yeah. Like, I saw them play a show, uh, the, what's the, the Warsaw in Greenpoint. And that was much more what you'd want it to be where people were just like, really just having like their dark catharsis the whole time. Even when we saw them, uh, open for nine inch nails. Oh yeah, that's right. I mean, that, that felt, yeah, that, that made sense though. There was a certain logic to that, but that, that, that show was also felt by virtue of the, how it was presented felt more like seeing like one of those movies where they have a live score. Yeah, because they had the whole multimedia component of it and everything. Yeah, and it was just like, I mean, they, they always do, but it, it just by virtue of it being an arena show, it felt more like the visual part was central. And they were playing, as it turned out, like Asunder, Sweet No The Distress in its entirety, I think. It, yeah, I, I know they played melodic. Did No, I don't think they did, because I no, think I would have... No, no, no. I, no, I'm sorry. I saw a lot of like the the other thing that was at the uh, the Warsaw. Man, that's one of my favorite songs ever by anybody. Ah, <sighs> this, this this crushing, crushing dark misery. Just the brutality of it. Yeah, yeah. That, that that's the right word. It's 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 brutality on this epic scale. They're a great metal band. You and I have had this conversation. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I mean, that that's kind of like the the secret of them is that they're yeah. actually a metal band who have been kind of uh, grandfathered into this other world by, I think, largely by virtue of where they're from and who they're friends with and what their visual iconography is. Mm. But yeah, that shit is heavy as fuck. That's not, they must not have like a lot of metal f- fans, right? They must. You would assume so. I would think so. Um, it's just an arguably strong metal. It really is. Yeah, it's it's, it's doom. It's true doom music. Yeah, it, like, you know, except for the last one, which has a, a certain amount of hope in it, which I feel like happier, it's hilarious because yeah. that's like the one Trump era record they have. The one time where everyone else is feeling utter doom, like they're like, "Hey, maybe, maybe there's hope here." That's why I'm so I'm so excited to hear the new one because, like, what direction will it point in now? I don't know. They were optimistic when everyone else was pessimistic. They were pessimistic when everyone else was optimistic. Now, how are they? I don't know. I'm very curious. Yeah. I don't think anybody really knows how to feel lately. No, it's a weird time. We're still so early in the, like, you know, I mean, we're at a time where, like, I remember, I think two days ago, I woke up in the morning I got my daughter ready for school. We drove to school. We got Dunkin' Donuts on the way. Um, you know, I dropped her off, ran a couple errands, and I'm driving home. And I realized, like, I had gone. At that point, I had been awake for an hour and a half, and I hadn't thought about politics at all. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God. I just went an hour and a half without thinking about politics. Yeah. Because I. I'm the, not show, a I mean, the show we, we had the the season the series finale of the show that we were all watching right and you know it, it's kind of like you know how people say like you know man like, since game of thrones went off there no one talks about it anymore which is you know true but what, 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 what it's done the show is over 
Yeah. We were all watching the show and then it ended. Some of us didn't like how it ended. Some of us did. <laughs> and it's not to say that I'm a fan of the president administration or anything. It's just that the feeling that you were just being your, your, your innate sense of decency was, uh, under assault. being under routinely assaulted every day in every way in small, large ways and small, like, Julia and I have a small mail order business, for example. And like when Trump deliberately began to destroy the postal service, like there was something so uniquely dispiriting about that, like taking this public good that everybody appreciates and, and enjoys and took for granted. And and has been part of the United States since its inception. Right. And it's a constitutionally mandated part of the United States and and just to turn it into dog shit in hopes of perpetuating your your shitty scam for that much longer like I don't, it's really difficult to describe like how I many think times I think it's very like hard to get a head. sense of like when people kind of finish feeling traumatized by it um because I I think it takes a long time. I mean, especially when you think about, um, you know, you think about these different eras that we've been through and we're old enough to have been adults through the entire uh, George W. Bush era. Mm -hmm. And there's definitely people that you see who are like walk around and like, they are so scarred by the, I mean, I think most of the Democrats who are still, who are in power, like are like, they're not even like the Trump thing is even besides the point. They're, they're still completely scarred by the Bush experience. Or by the Tea Party, or yeah, yeah, all, all of that era, like the 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 the, the John Stewart energy, you know, yeah, I, I think like that whole era, like in like you, I think one of the the weirder things of the past few years was seeing like those people still going around litigating their own anxieties from that era, which aren't even relevant anymore. Like I think all the you know like all the politicians, all the Democrat politicians, who are like bipartisanship and how important that is. Those people are to a person completely scarred by the Bush era. Mm-hmm. And I think even before that, like the Reagan era, you know. But you know, so but but now we're going to be dealing with like generations of people who like their foundational scarring experience was the Trump era. Yeah, I'm really curious, like, you know, having kids whose who's, their only awareness of the president up until now was that the president was Donald Trump and getting the messages from us, their parents, why this was bad. Like, I don't, like, it, it's, like, I don't know. I mean, it's just, it might just be me and, like, the way that I parent and the way that, like, my partner and my ex parent but like you know, I grew up during the Reagan administration, and my my folks didn't really say anything yay or nay about Ronald Reagan to me. Like I had to kind of yeah. backfill all I mean, of that when I grew up. And I mean, I could glean that my father did not like Reagan or Bush, uh, the, the, the George H. W. Bush. Yeah, but it just wasn't like. I think you know. I think the obviously the other big problem that we've kind of hit. I think the Trump era completely blew up the notion of American exceptionalism for the vast majority of people. Right. And that's something that the generations of people have been like coming up in. And I think it's hard to say what's going to happen to people who've grown up in this era or even people who are in their early twenties now, like 
what form that takes, you know, coming up in that uh, post exceptionalism era. I hope it's good. You know, I, I mean, hope- I feel like it, it should be good, but you know, if, but we, we both know enough that there'll probably be a really good version and a really horrific version. Yeah, I guess that's true. That's kind of how it works. You get Spider-Man, you get Venom. <laughs> yes, as it says in the Bible, you get Spider-Man and you get Venom. <laughs> I think that's in The Gambler by Kenny Rogers. No <laughs> uh, when it's Spider-Man, No when it's Venom. You got to know when to hold up. Know when to fold up. Know when to walk away. You never count your money When you're sitting at the table There'll be time enough for counting When the dealing's done I, I um, just recorded uh, an episode with the, the advice columnist Heather, Heather Haverleski. Are you mm-hmm. familiar with her writing? Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the premise was I was throwing uh, advice songs from from the past like 50 60 years or whatever and just kind of like okay let's pick these apart is this good or bad advice and the last one we did was the gambler <laughs> and i think we, we, we kind of hit the yeah the gambler's good advice yes that's true although julia just today pointed out that sometimes you can count your money when you're sitting at the table okay it's but that's specific to a woman who uh who, who works at comic conventions that's true <laughs> uh well, i mean like the, the, the message of that song is basically like you know you have to know you know to, you have to know when to accept defeat and you have, you have to know when to to, to to leave something behind because other opportunities will be there for you you know, it's, it's, I think it's ultimately a song that's telling you to remove a certain anxiety about uh, and being able to let things go and to let go of expectations. Yeah, and it's, uh, I think, I don't know. I mean, I think it's, yeah, I guess so. I guess I always have seen it as a song about, like, don't play yourself. Like, yeah, I mean, well, that, that, that's, that, that's a, another way of putting it. Mm. Don't play yourself, man. No, that's good advice. No one to walk away and no one ah, to run. That's such a great song. And like, I, I mean, the one part I always love about the song is like, you know, a little bit before the chorus, so it was the room got deathly silent. <laughs> yeah. And you like that kind of thing where it's like the song itself is telling you, okay, slow down. You're about to get some serious advice from an old timer. It's just such a great, like, I love the line. We were both too tired to sleep. Whew. Yeah. That's a good line. That's good. I know that feeling. Yeah. Kenny Rogers. R.I.P. R.I.P. to a real one. Kenny Rogers. Yeah. Well, I think he's Kenny Rogers was one of the first uh, musicians I was really fully aware of because my, my mom liked Kenny Rogers. Kenny was a good one. He kind of yeah. Kenny looks like kind of Michael McDonald of Earth 2. <laughs> yeah. And they kind of have like somewhat similar voices. Yeah, I can see it. Yeah. They they have duetted as as it turns out. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. But you know, Michael McDonald was available. That's right. Michael McDonald will duet with any swinging dick. As a, as I mean, if a phrase you, that I like if you get the right money, if you get the right money, like Michael McDonald will sing with you. 
he sang fucking "While You Wait for the Others" by Grizzly Bear. Yeah, sang they the, the money. whole damn song. They had the money yeah. during Grizzly Bear's imperial phase. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, you should. That that should be your your thing. Where it's like, if if you make enough money, <laughs> you just set aside a Michael McDonald fund. Yeah, you, you should just write a few songs. Just put you know, set them aside. And one of them is for Michael McDonald. Did he ever actually play with Warren G and Nate Dogg? I feel like he must have. He must have, so. right? I think so. I feel very I, blessed to have seen uh, Michael McDonald perform with Steely Dan. You are blessed. I never got to see that. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he did uh, Peg and he did. My old school, and I think he did pretzel logic. I know he does pretzel logic on the record. Did you? Did you do? Uh, I got the news. <sighs> no, no, no. As much as no. The times I've only seen guests with Steely Dan on, on a few shows, and they're completely random things. It just kind of happened towards the end of the show, and like, okay. And Celia Dan does not really have guests very often, so my own experience is only because I've seen them a lot of times now. Uh, yeah. yeah, I saw Jenny Lewis come out to sing "Dirty Work." That was great. I was there with that with you for that one. Oh right, like, or that, that was the the last show that they played at the, the Beacon Theater. Yeah, uh, that's I think that's my favorite show I've seen them play. That show is so good. They played yeah, all, they played all of my top favorites. All, all, all in the same show. Um, oh yeah, I, I saw the David Crosby come out and do, uh, what was it uh, Wooden Ships? Wow, with Steely Dan. Wow. Yeah. Well, he's a hardcore Steely Dan fan. Yeah. And in in the parlance of him, they, they really cook. <laughs> David Crosby, a national treasure. Just uh, everyone's favorite hippie crank. <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I don't, I don't particularly like him. But there was one thing the other day um, where it was Mike Love's birthday, and he he retweeted a picture of, of Mike Love, like acknowledging his birthday. And it was uh, a, a, a man I truly despise. <laughs> <laughs> Like yes, you, you, like you know what? He knows that he he hates the right guys. <laughs> yeah, he's got his his heart's in the right place in terms right. of oh right because it was a it was, he was actually retweeting Van Dyke Parks. Van Dyke Parks was like happy birthday to Mike Love, and it's just and he 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 just found four pictures of Mike Love with Donald Trump. <laughs> and like Van Dyke Parks is just like roasting this guy, just who, ethering him. Yeah, the you know, the guy who did the orchestration on Pet Sounds. <laughs> Man, that's how many bands do you get like where you're just like an absolute scumbag and in, in embedded in the band, and then like, he takes I, over the band. Yeah, I'm trying to think: has there been anything else like that? Oh, and there's definitely other examples, but I think that he, that's the most perfect example. Mike Love is kind of the proto Gene Simmons. <laughs> yeah yeah you couldn't say that about kiss because i feel like they're all chuds and kiss right they're just they're all but like 
Gene Simmons is a cut above. Oh yeah, you can't compete with him. No, of course not. It's your fantasy. Oh god, this uh, one of the things that's really stuck with me is this realizing that, like he, his improbable sexual magnetism led to a scenario in which, uh, with Cher and Diana Ross. Be, like had a falling out because I can't remember which order it was, but he dumped one to, other, to date the other and they were close friends. Ugh. And it's like Diana Ross and, <laughs> and, and share in the early to mid seventies or whatever. It's like, these are like two of the most beautiful and successful women who've ever lived. Fighting over Gene Simmons. Like uh, having your heart broken because Gene Simmons started dating your best friend and he dumped you. A person who said, we need to wear more makeup because we're uglier than the New York dolls. We're not as sexy as fucking David Johansson. We need to wear more makeup. Yeah. You know, this is a Saturday episode, so I feel like I can can say a vulgar thing here. But was the thing that so few men would go down on women back then that he was just like, we can't give this guy up. You think that's the that's what the tongue thing was all about? Yeah, I yeah, yeah. On a certain level, it is. Yeah, yeah. Like Ugh. Gene Simmons is a terrible person, but he 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 he's made it known that you know he, he is he's nothing like uh what's his name? I love. I'm ruining my own joke because like, I I I just I forgot the guy's name. The uh, another one guy. DJ Khaled. <laughs> yeah, he's not he's yeah. not a DJ Khaled. Which is amazing because like. He's an Uncle Junior. He's not a Tony Soprano. If ever there was a rock star who would figure have like a sort of on principle objection to Cunnilingus, it would be it would it would be Gene Simmons. Like but he was born like with that, that somehow, tongue. It's his like it's like Dirk Diggler. Like you yes, only have exactly. one career path of you. Yeah, I mean, how much of his career is based on that tongue? Too much. Honestly. Like the, the, so much of Kiss was like, oh, they're the band. Like they dress up like monster guys, and the guy sticks his tongue out, and they write songs about partying. Kiss, the second yeah. worst band. Kiss have a few good songs, but I think one of the things that always like you know that that, that particular uh, there's a particular like cohort within Gen X of, of guys who like. That's the, that was their foundational rock band, and they can't get over it. Yeah, and that includes like a lot of like rock stars from the nineties. Rivers Cuomo. Yeah, the guys in Pearl Jam. Wow, like Stone Gossard, you know, like like it's like it was like Kiss had such an impact on the 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 young men of the seventies. Kiss was a Kiss was superhero movies for them. Kiss yeah, basically, yeah, superheroes for them. It was, it's before Star Wars. Yep. Of course, they made a comic famously and put their own blood in the ink and all that shit. Like, you know, like that was what it was. It was like for an adolescent male audience who wanted to see superheroes, that was as good as it was going to get. Unless you like, you know, it, it, it beat like over the hill, Adam West showing up on like superhero roast shows in his Batman costume, you know, And, and they rocked. They rocked ish. They're they're rocked they're rock adjacent. What 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 is your favorite song by Kiss? 
Oh man, that's that's a that's that's a short order. That's I feel like there's, the there's an easy order. answer to that one. Which is what rock and roll all night? Yeah, that, that's a great song. No, it sucks. It's it's a. I mean, it's a, it, 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 I don't mean great song <laughs> necessarily, but yeah, it's 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 a good. I pop honestly hit. listen. I honestly think that song sucks shit. I think that I song is two lines that are okay. All night and part of every day. Stop. And oh, it's and part of every day. No, no. That, that's that's a Paul Rudd joke. I can't remember what movie that's in, but yeah. <laughs> That's I I like the joke version better than the real version. Yeah. It's two lines that are okay. I like I guess I guess I like "She" by Kiss. That's a good song. Uh, Strutter is okay. Yeah, Detroit Rock City is okay. The only one I could say like I, I genuinely like is "Rock and Roll All Night." I think that that's a fun song. I, I have like I have it. positive associations with that one. I don't like it. I'm, I mean, I've just listened to too much Slade and Sweet in my day. To be yeah, like, yeah, they really were like the dumb guy version of that stuff. And imagine being the dumb guy version of Slade and Sweet. <laughs> like, the dumb guy version of Come On, Feel the Noise. Like, you're, you're <laughs> motherfucker. You're dumb at that point. You're like. Well, it's also for kids. Like, they didn't dress up like monster superheroes. No, that's true. You're right. You're right. No, it's just, I've just. Ugh. Oh, you know, you know what song my kiss is really awful. The, the, when I made that soft rock one, is that song Beth? Like yeah, their power, like they're they're kind of like soft, gentle power ballad song. It's no good, ah, man. It's no good. Beth is trash. Oh my god. They're still better than Bon Jovi, though. Somehow. Oh yeah, but that that's so easy. Bon, oh, God, I despise Bon Jovi. I do have a Bon Jovi song that I like better than any Kiss song. What's that? Which is lay your hands on me? Yeah, that's 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 a relatively okay Bon Jovi song, but it's not really like a big hit. It's kind of a modest. Uh, yeah, it was little, it was a, it was it, it it was just the hit, like the fourth on, single or whatever. Yeah, it was in rotation when I started watching MTV. Basically, yeah, I I still do think it's better than a lot of their other shit. But. Bon Jovi, yeah, the, I mean, obviously the 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 the, the, the more modern version of that that i hate is i cannot stand the killers the killers is 100 modern bon jovi uh, yeah mr. they're they're mr. they're they're millennial bon jovi for sure mr brightside in, in every way like it's like that's like mr brightside is the millennial it's version living, of living, living on, a, on prayer. a prayer yep you'll get no argument from me there <sighs> real again yeah, and, and and what are they they're the dumb guy version of those those new york bands yep boy are they ever that was, and they're, I mean, and I they're also that. like they're also the normie guy version of like things like My Chemical Romance. I remember when that somebody told me song came out. I was like, okay, this is where I get off this train. Oh God, like, like there's a, like a really just you know I've heard girls, girls and boys. We don't need this. No, shameful. Oh, Shame. Such a bad. And like I got soul, but I'm not a soldier. Like he's written some of the really just like the mind bendingly dumbest lyrics I've ever heard like that. And like the, are we human or are we dancer where it's like, like he was going and maybe this is actually probably the most interesting thing about it is like, like being able and willing to write those kind of lyrics that just break people's brains. In, in, a, in a different, maybe in, in better songs, that would be really cool. I guess it's a skill of some kind. Uh, 
And then, and, and then the, but he, but you know, you write a song like that. I got soul, but I'm not a soldier. Are we human or are we dancer? And you sing it and perform it with an earnestness, like, like far beyond like the maximum earnestness of a Bono. It's impossible to imagine Brandon Flowers being McFisto, isn't it? Like, no, well, I think I think they probably. I mean, I'm sure they like you too, but it's clear that they are more like they'd rather be Bruce Springsteen, but they're they're too yeah, they dumb for the, that too. They were one of the first. I mean, I know you're not a Bruce fan, but they were. I don't, but I don't hate Bruce, <laughs> right? But they were one of the first bands that was actually like because I remember I vividly remember my father asking me in like 2000, maybe 2000, like does anyone listen to Bruce Springsteen anymore? And just, and saying no. And it was true. Um, like, like bright eyes type people did. I guess so. But that wasn't my scene at all, you know? And then like, I think the killers were one of the first big bands to kind of revalidate Springsteen with what that fucking well, record. That I, don't, you know, I don't know if that's true because like they come out after the, the rising yeah, but I mean, like that's and like that's, and like, that's crucial. I feel like that was like the rising was the thing that put Bruce Springsteen like really back into things because he had like, well, I mean, like I mean, like pretty much all the records between uh, Born in the USA and uh, the Rising are you know modest successes or commercial disappointments. But yeah, the, the, but the rising really put him back in the, the middle of things and like the, the, the stature of, you know, I mean, like it kind of worked like you two was on a smaller uh, frame of a time frame, but it worked the same. Like, the, like after 9-11, people just really had a craving for that Bruce and you two energy. Have they ever made a Verizon commercial out of the rising? No, but it, it is should. literally impossible for me to think of the song "The Rising" with like it's all I hear. "Come on up to the rising, come on up for clear digital." <laughs> he was warning everybody about the five G conspiracy years in advance. Like, oh, let's, get, let's, let's get that one on uh, on, on the chans. <laughs> Bruce Springsteen, make him a, a, a major, like, uh, yeah, for the 5G, like, get somehow, like, work him into QAnon. Like, oh, Bruce man. Springsteen is actually a hero of QAnon. Right. One of the right. good celebrities. He's one of the good guys. He's not like sinister evildoers like Tom Hanks. <laughs> yes. The famously evil Tom Hanks. Um, God. Uh, God, can you imagine if that happened? Like, that would actually, like, fuck up Bruce Springsteen's fans so much to have to have Bruce Springsteen be like so like deeply embedded in QAnon mythology like my like I don't I can't even joke about it my landlord has a fucking Q sticker on the back of his truck like I can't even it's not even funny to me anymore I I do you have any sense of whether uh, he's uh, lost in faith I have no idea. All he's done is fix the leak in our ceiling for like the fucking fourth time in a row. And the last, that's my, been my sole interaction with him is like him fixing a leak that he has sensibly fixed two other times. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if he's had a crisis of faith or if he's, 
I mean, he, he also doesn't believe in Sandy Hook or the moon landing. So, like, I feel like it just sounds like resilient. It, it, I feel like that guy. I think there's other people like it, or it just sounds like they just like they enjoy the thrill of being like, yeah, I know that this didn't happen. You're just you're just you're a skeptic in all the wrong ways. <laughs> yeah, well, when you're very stupid, it 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 helps to find a thing that makes you smarter than everybody else without actually necessitating that you be smart. Yeah. You, you don't, you have no real authority. You just think everyone else is sheeple. Right. In wrestling, they have a beautiful term called smarts, which is a smart mark, which is a person who's in on the business, who knows it's fake, who knows the machinations, um, but still like buys into it on a certain level to be entertained. You know, and, and kind do, of. Do you feel like you to some extent? Oh, I'm absolutely. I'm one of the smarkiest smarks you've ever met, for sure. Like the, when I wrote my first big wrestling piece, Heidi McDonald from the comics book blog The Beat, like replied to it and was like, "That's literally the smarkiest thing I've ever read." And I think <laughs> that a lot of, I think that a lot of Q people recognize they don't recognize that they're actually stupid, but they are yearning for something that makes them feel smarter than everybody else. Because like all right-wing political movements, the underlying sentiment is you think you're better than me. Yeah. Especially on Long Island. Big time. So that, like, that, that's the yeah. ultimate Long Island energy as we've, as we've established in the past. The, the, the dude is from Massapequa, which is where Chuck Schumer's imaginary Irish American family who decides the issues of the day uh, reside. <laughs> if you've ever heard about that, and and isn't Massapequa uh, the birthplace or, or a hometown of Jerry Seinfeld? I believe it is. Is it? Is he from yeah. Massapequa? He's from Massapequa. Oh, okay. All right. All right. It's it's cop it's Copland is what it is. If you've ever seen the movie Copland, um, yeah. you know. And so, like, yeah, I think that's Cop a, Island. Yeah, I think it makes you, you know, cue on a certain level makes you think that you're you're wise to something that other people aren't. It also gives you an excuse to want to to want your enemies to die you know um so it's not it's not pleasant but i think that's the appeal of it is that like oh now i'm in on something that other people aren't i'm wise to what's going on in a way that other people aren't in a way that doesn't actually require me to be wise i just have to believe this set of things and this set of facts quote unquote instead of the other set of facts and now i'm smart now i'm with it yeah just assholes, you know. You're, like, you're yep. all assholes. I'm better than you. But yep. jumping back into the 2000 to 2002, I'm just gonna throw a few names at you to see what, what comes up. All right, this should be interesting. So, w- w- what is your take on cake? I loved cake, man. Loved cake. Comfort Eagle is on that playlist, isn't it? Yes. I chose that Comfort Eagle, so like, I, and I learned to like Comfort Eagle because that was uh sort of like matt chrisman's uh theme song <laughs> and uh I've, I've traditionally not like cake at all but i came around like a comfort eagle it's a great song and yeah. it's like all the things that like, work about cake really work on that song and that's the one where it's like we're building a religion we are building a religion we are building it bigger we are widening the corridors and adding more lanes. We are building a religion, a limited edition. 
We are now accepting callers for these pendant keychains. To resist it is useless. It is useless to resist it. His cigarette is burning, but he never seems to ash. He is grooming his poodle. He is living comfort eagle. You can meet at his location, but you'd better come with cash. Now his hat is on backwards. He can show you his tattoos. He is in the music business. He is calling you dude. Now today is tomorrow, and tomorrow today, and yesterday is weaving in and yep. out. Where now? Except in callers for these pendant keychains. It's a great line. He's in the music business. He is calling you dude. It's a great line. Um, just something about that record came out when I was still in college, I believe. And, and it got something about the vapidity of, and the perniciousness of, uh, radio at the time, talk radio. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, That's really, that's a real prime era of of talk radio. I I think the the thing with cake, um, is I, I've never been able to be generous to cake until maybe I guess just recently, because especially during that period of time, like my interpretation of cake is like, Oh, that is the the corporate radio version of an indie band, which is, which is not untrue, but it's not fair to them. They were so like odd and, and, you know, the thing I've, I've always seen them more than continuum with, I think you introduced me to this concept of, of bands that are for people who don't actually like music. Oh, yeah. I mean, and I've always kind of had it in for those. So, you know, yeah, they, but right. they're absolutely like you, a large portion of our audience. The people that you will kind of run. Well, Matt Christman being a good example, like people who don't yeah. really like music, but they like cake yeah. rules or like uh, they like they might be giants or they like they Ben Folds. The other one. Yep. Ben Folds and uh, Cake did a show together at the, the Forest Hills. But I always, yeah, I, I always really dug. Just imagine how insufferable that audience must have been. Yeah, but I bet they were having a grand old time. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I did. I did Cake. I did Comfort Eagle a lot. Um, I just think they had a lot of good songs. Comfort, uh, Comfort Eagle has, uh, yeah, short skirt, short skirt, long jacket. I appreciate short skirt, long jacket as a karaoke song. That's a good karaoke song. It's very good. Meanwhile, James is good. I, I saw um, uh, just recently when we were doing karaoke in Prospect Park at the band shell, we kind of set it up. Uh, our friend Chris Wade did a short skirt, long jacket. That's a, that's a jam. Perfect for his voice. The distance is good. I think they just, they, they, I think it was a band that knew its limitations, you know, like in terms of, Certainly, his vocal range—they're yeah. extremely limited. The, 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 you um, you could not just, do anything that wasn't ironic with them, right? So they did all kinds of things with like the ah uh, uh, background vocals and the horns and stuff that like kind of jazzed the music yeah, up. And it, it like, just, everything like, had to be musical because his voice wasn't going to be right. Exactly. I mean, and obviously, yes. lots of music works on that principle. They worked around it, and also, I think on an aesthetic level, I appreciated that all the records looked the same because I was a KMFDM fan, and every KMFDM record looks the same. So I was like, "Okay, Cake is going for this KMFDM vibe. I can dig it." Here's a, here's yeah. another one to throw at you: is uh, right. what do you think of the song "We Are All Made of Stars" by Moby?
never liked it. It always felt a little tryhardy to me. It, yeah, it it is like oh, I need a song that makes sense on like rock radio. Yeah, <laughs> at the height yeah. of his success. It, the, the, there is an amazing, amazing tweet that uh, came out this week. I actually, put it in my newsletter at the end, where someone had this picture, and Moby has "vegan for life" tattooed on his neck. Tattooed on his neck, yeah. But in the photo, it just look all you could see is Egan for Ife. And the guy, the tweet was something to the effect of like, it's so sad that he tattooed Megan for wife and she went and married that prince. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is this idea. <laughs> Megan for wife just like that, that tickles me so much. It, it, you could you could do a similar joke about like it being Megan the Stallion. <laughs> <laughs> He could claim he dated her like he claimed he dated Natalie yeah. Portman when she uh, was 18. Moby's such a douche. Uh, he's a, he's a, like, I feel like that's the a, word for it. Like People don't even, like, I mean, for uh, probably good reason, people don't really say douche anymore, but he's such a douche. That's just the right word for him, especially because of what era he's from. He's from prime douche era. Douche era. That was when he called people a douche, for sure. He's at the very least a doofus. Yeah. Um. But I, I, you know, I never, I didn't get into We Are All Made of Stars. I thought that was really self-conscious and, 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 and just didn't hit the heights that he wanted it to, that it obviously was supposed to be like this transcendental statement. And it's like, we are all made of stars. Right. And it's like, you have 20 songs that are better. than. It's funny because like, I feel like that song, the aesthetics of it are something that I think LCD LCD kind of like did later on in their career and did it much better. Yeah. You're not wrong. I think they probably have a lot in common. You know, they're often people who, who really uh, know a lot about music and are into all kinds of different kinds of music and trying to incorporate it into their own work for, you know, and sometimes with to strong effect and sometimes, Less than a strong effect. Here's one I know you love. Uh, Deftones, Change in the House of Flies. song man oh boy white pony is quite a record um half tones like never really got me and i think i it, by the time i would have any like inclination to take them seriously it was too late uh but like they're exactly in the window of time where i really don't have any access to mtv or rock radio so this barely existed to me i didn't either i don't know how i stumbled across white pony um you know, which is their canonical record, really. And I and I just remember thinking, like, I, I had a piv- I had a pithy line about it, and I wish I could remember it. But if it was like if, if Radiohead, after OK Computer, had listened to... <laughs> like, made a new Had listened to Black Sabbath instead of Tortoise. Like, yeah. this is what they would have come up with. It was a metal record that had this sort of... Uh, 
ethereal digital wash kind of laid over it and smeared over it. It was like a smeary atmosphere. Do you know what my impression of that record is now? Like the White Pony record, if I hear it now, is it seems to me like a more successful version of what the thing Billy Corgan was trying to do on Machina. Yeah, for sure. Even though I like Machina much more, I'm a, I'm a Smashing Pumpkins fan, but you know, I, I you know, I, I just feel like he was experimenting with something that they nailed. Yeah, and it's it's amazing because you know, as it, as it as it turns out, should have been obvious in retrospect, the record White Pony was made under the influence of just titanic amounts of cocaine. <laughs> um, w- so it's funny because like the title actually would suggest uh, heroin, right? Well, I feel like uh, b- by the rubric of uh, the song, what's it called? Ride a white horse or whatever. Um, white. Oh, a horse is heroin horse and heroin pony, pony is, is uh, cocaine. cocaine. Exactly. So we have to go by that hmm. standard, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, the the gold frap standard. Right. White laid back is the song I was thinking of. White horse from nineteen eighty three or something like that. Going way back. If you want to ride, ride the white horse. How about a Queens of the Stone Age? No one knows. <laughs> They were like a, they were a band. When I graduated college in spring of 2000, I went into doing production assistant work on various like films and television shows in New York. And uh, on one of the movies that I was working on, there was a guy who was in a band who had opened for Tool on tour, and they were he was super into Queens of the Stone Age at that time. Um, this is I think just when Rated R had come out, and. Like with the way it was recommended. That's the one with like the the Vicodin, like yeah, better the, the, the loosening off right, drugs, right. and and um, feel good hit of the yeah, summer. Feel good hit of the summer. Excuse me. And um, why did I come up with better living through chemistry? I think they have a song that's called that too. Anyway, uh, they they were comp- the people compared them to Black Sabbath in terms of the like the sound to me. So it's like, all right, I'll listen to this for sure. And. Uh, it was just it was just rocking, man. It was just good old rock music, like which I appreciated at the time because you were kind of being told at the time that rock music was dying, and um, yeah, which I think in that moment of time really meant that rock music for was for uh, lunkheads and poor people, right? That's exactly what it meant. And in a lot of ways, was, and uh, Queen of the Stone Age, while being the smartest of the lunkhead bands, is nevertheless a lunkhead. No, it's band. for sure. I mean, they fucking came from Caius. Like it's it's like it's really lunkheaded music, but like in a good way. Like there's a lot of like you can you can make lunkheaded music that's super exciting and interesting. Yeah, you can absolutely. Yeah, I mean, like I want like a certain amount of rock music to be absolute, like lunkhead, just like full physical 
you know. Uh, that song, No One Knows, in particular, has a great riff, for yeah. one. But it also has Dave Grohl on drums. And I think it's a particularly good Dave Grohl drum performance. And it's funny because, like, the same year or the year slightly after... On the same playlist is like All My Life by Foo Fighters, mm-hmm. which is a really big hit by then. But the drums sound so like plodding on that. Whereas like Dave Grohl, like on someone else's record is giving you the full Dave Grohl experience. Yeah. At, at the time, I still remember finding the Foo Fighters really entertaining. Um, yeah. I mean, all of that's fine. Like the, that record, that's like the, that's the album where they really become the thing that they've been ever since right. a band that can kind of produce a couple like memorable songs per record for the most part. But you know, like the, the magic that was any magic that was there was on those first two records. And you know, yeah, I have a, that's their fourth album. Like, yeah. I guess like the, there's nothing left to lose has a few good, maybe actually that's the one where the pattern sets in, but that like that has, you know. that's like the, that's the pivotal record because I think you have good album cuts, like extremely good album cuts on that, like uh headwires and um, what's it? Live in skin. I, I, I adored those songs when they came out, but you also have learn learning to fly or whatever it's called. Learn to fly. And it's like, yeah, okay. That, I mean, that one has Breakout. That break, that's a really good Who Fighter song. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, that's like kind of Dave Grohl by numbers, that one. Yeah, yeah. They, they kind of fell into But what it's giving you into a the, 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 the real, like, here's the thing the Foo Fighters do really well. You know, it's particular to them. I mean, they eventually cracked. I mean, that song is basically like Monkey Wrench version two. Yeah, they cracked the code and they, they stuck with what worked. Yeah. It's hard to say whether Dave Grohl is disappointing or just a guy who's like consistently given people what they wanted. And that's fine. I think it's probably somebody's got to be that guy, yeah, you know, I guess so. he's, he's effectively the, the Gen X equivalent to Tom Petty. I wish it wasn't the guy who wrote Everlong is really what it boils down to. years everlong still held so much power to me and uh oh it's a great song yeah, and, I, and i just if he was capable of that's that, another great rap i mean i guess there's tons of examples throughout music history of you know like did the flamingos ever record another song as good as i only have eyes for you oh not even right, close but, but i i think like you know like who are definitely not like a one-hit wonder they have like they have plenty of good songs and they're kind of distributed throughout their catalog yeah. that's not really like their problem no, that's true. I, I feel like the thing is like Foo Fighters and Weezer have like the same exact trajectory, but people give Weezer shit and people look, will still give Dave Grohl a pass because he was in Nirvana. That sounds fair to me. Yeah. Yeah. But they're, yeah, they're, they're, they're bands like they, they, they get their first two records are both very, very good. 
and then it's kind of diminishing returns for a little while and then it's like okay we do we have like a we have a you know anywhere between one and four good songs per record which is like i should say way above average lots of bands struggle to have one good song on a record most artists cannot do that if you're going if you have two or three good songs a record and you're in the 90s you're going multi-platinum every time you know yeah that that's the the live rule yeah <laughs> do you do you, do you happen to know how many times platinum lives throwing copper is eight it's eight holy yeah. shit <laughs> <laughs> they've sold they, they, they moved eight million copies of that in america those because they had four big hits on that those record. songs were good man and i remember thinking at the time a lot of rock and roll bands we're, we're trying to be anthemic in a way that like live at that moment seemed to come very naturally to them with lightning crashes well, live their their particular formula was based it was something that could only really work exactly the time where they were most successful which is okay we need things to be kind of like rem and u2 but also kind of like this lunk-headed alternative stuff yeah. can we have somebody who does both and live was the band that could do both. He was in that sweet spot. Yeah. Oh my god. The li- <laughs> what was the last time you really heard some of those songs from Throwing Copper? It's been. Uh, I don't. I feel like heard. I'm not sure. I've com- I've contemplated the phrase "her placenta falls to the floor" many a time. Oh, see, the, the funny thing about it is like people like really fixate on that, but in other songs that were hits on that record are far worse lyrics, like far more like, wait, what were you thinking? Like, I mean, their first big hit from that record was selling the drama. Do you remember the chorus of selling the drama? No, I don't here. I will, I will read it out to you. Please do. Hey, now we won't be raped. Hey, now we won't be scarred like that. Hey, now we won't be raped. Like that's just <laughs> okay. Wow. All right. And, you know, I Alone is a completely weird song. Uh, they they have, a, there was one of the more minor hits in that record was a White Discussion, which is like about them talking about political correctness. And then, <laughs> and it's very nebulous where they stand on that. <laughs> it, every, everyone was against political correctness. That's the important thing to remember, especially as like it gets rebooted as cancel culture um discourse like there was no one in there was no one there was no person vocally in favor of being politically correct like that was a bad thing Man. to me i like i alone that's a pretty decent hit song but the, the chorus of that song is creepy as hell it's like i alone love you i alone tempt you i alone love you fear is not the end of this 
And I like lightning, uh, lightning crashes because it has. Yeah, there's actually. Oh, now feel it coming back again. It's really good. Like and the rolling thunder chasing the wind. The the chord structure of uh, I, I want to say it's Bosses Hang from the most recent Godspeed record, Luciferian Towers, is that it's that, and it's also <laughs> um, I forget the name of the song, the Eve Six song. Whatever Eve Six's yeah. hit was, it's the same same structure. Oh man! Oh, the oh the, the one of the lines in that song "I Alone" that's always stuck with me is to cradle the baby in space. <laughs> okay. To cradle the baby in But you know, it, there's a, there's a certain side of like, a certain sort of like word trash that comes out in like '90s alternative rock that is just unmatched ever since. I think the ultimate champs of that is Bush. Bush wrote like Bush. I know for a fact that Gavin Rosdale is a native English speaker from England, mm-hmm. but he does not write like English is even his seventh language. Yes, yeah, so do you get do you get gibberish songs these days? Like I like I I don't know. I'm just listening to the wrong I feel like stuff, the gibberish but... gibberish is now is more just like uh it's more slangy, so it's not quite the same thing at all. It's not like I'm trying to give you like bizarre poetry or like or even just like the words are not important. Just sing along, you know. Man, because like I remember trying to write lyrics for my band in high school. And like my model is helmet. What's your band in high school called? Special Agent Gumby. <laughs> that's such a oh god, it's, that's so nineteen ninety. It was from a Far Side cartoon. The band the band name was selected before I joined the band. To be fair, it was not my. I did not get a vote in it, um, but I remember trying to write lyrics, and it's like my lyrical inspirations at the time were like helmet records, and it's like, what is any helmet song about? What is what is a I I fucking defy you to tell me what any given one helmet song is about. Well, I, I imagine Milk Toast is about being a wuss, right? So you would think, but like, is it evident from the lyrics in any way? I mean, the lyrics are so besides the point of in those right. songs. Like, that, I mean, like Milk Toast goes so hard. That one is just. Ah. The dynamics in that song rule so much. Helmet, they fucking had lightning in a bottle, man. They were so good. time i think of helmet i remember in my first year of art school going to school with this one girl who was always talking about her boyfriend Paige, who's in a band and then you you finally realize it's, it's Paige Paige Hamilton. Hamilton. 
<laughs> and Paige Hamilton, I guess at the time, was dating like an 18 or 19-year-old girl. Oh, sweet. Isn't that great? That's like finding out Michael Stipe was dating fucking Casey Fisher from Fisher Spooner when Fisher's when he was <laughs> when he was in high school. Uh, it, it, I mentioned before the guy I was doing the the podcast with uh, Heather Havlareska. You're talking about the lyrics. I'm like one of the, the the things that came up was that uh that Benny Mardona song "Into the Night," where the first line is "She's just 16 years old." Leave her alone, they say. Separated by fools who don't know what love is yet. I love that. That's that's really one of the creepiest songs to ever just be like a mega hit that's played on like light FM all day long. And it's just like this horrible pervert who's just who's like who's taunting the audience from the start with saying oh these fools think that i'm doing something wrong they're saying i should leave this 16 year old girl alone in your dreams (laughs) i just love that it's phrased leave her alone which implies like this guy might not even know her And it also sounds like they're trying to like protect him. Like, listen, man, if you keep doing this, you're going to go to prison. Ah, <laughs> oh, Benny Mardona's absolute one of the, one of pop music's greatest sleazes. That's a sleazy Just song. An absolute like, and like, I don't even mean that greatest in like, like, cause we probably do have greatest sleazes in the way that would be like affectionate. But like, I mean, greatest in like just a dead-eyed, charisma-free goon. I was thinking about sleazy, affectionate songs. I was thinking of "Take Me to Church" by Hozier. Oh yeah, you, you know Hozier is this huge on Tumblr. Like Tumblr people are obsessed. I with know that because I was informed so by this very podcast, Matthew. Ah uh, yeah, because Kate Holderness was That's talking right. about it. But yeah, I remember like the first time I actually listened to that song. Take, take me to church and what's the lyric does he say like this is uh, that, one, that one i wouldn't know this is like i i just know that it's it's it's, it's like a real catholic kind of horny song it's vulgar is what it is it's shameful but i think i think i personally me think that take me to church deserves all the shit that wap got like take me to church is the song that i hear where i'm like uh, yeah, that looks tasty. That looks plenty. This is hungry work. This motherfucker dares to sing. It's it's yeah. it's grotesque. Give me WAP anytime. Over overtake <laughs> me to church. My God. Take me to church makes me feel like I'm one of the teachers at my Catholic high school, trying to warn me away from the devil's music. Take me to church. Do you think it's because taking a church is trying to be kind of respectable, but it still is this? It's <laughs> still it's vulgar. Just the, Jesus, all right. Here, <laughs> where, where, where is like, like, like where uh, Wappers is like delighting in vulgarity? Let me read you this verse from "Take Me to Church," if you don't mind. If I may, yeah, go for it. If I'm a pagan of the good times, my lover's the sunlight. To keep the goddess on my side, she demands a sacrifice. Drain <laughs> the whole sea. 
Get something shiny, something meaty for the main course. <laughs> That's a fine-looking high horse. What you got in the stable? We've got a lot of starving faithful. That looks tasty. That looks plenty. This is hungry work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you know why that kind of r- resonates in that kind of way because it sounds like like bad erotic fiction. And again, it's like that kind of like we're trying to be coy here. We're trying to be respectable. Where it's like if they just said what they meant, it would be fine. What's that? You know what they're saying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, also this made me think of the this, the line from Mysterious Ways. If you want to kiss the sky, boy, you got to learn how to kneel. <sighs> and it's like that. Like, I think that works a little better. But like that's the same. Like, isn't isn't Hozier also Irish? Yeah. Isn't this Irish bullshit right here? I don't claim Hozier. I'm sorry. I, Irishness <laughs> for me in music begins and ends with House of Pain. <laughs> but 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 isn't this like the same kind of Irishness that kind of yields like uh oh what's his name? <sighs> Fuck! Why is my brain go? Uh, James Joyce. Yes, you're so steeped in this fucking noxious bullshit from the Catholic Church that like. It's the only way you can process the world around you at a certain point. Like, there's definitely stages in your development as, like, a person who's raised Catholic where, like, you you literally, like... I remember in high school, like, the first, when I got my first girlfriend going to chapel every day before lunch and being like, thank you for giving me a girlfriend. I hope I get to feel her up. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know? Like, these conflicting... You're given this vocabulary of worship and adoration uh, in this religious struct, you know, sense, but like so much of Catholicism and, and worship is meaningless to you at that age, and and it's also the age where you you will soon, if you haven't already, start to question whether there's anything to this at all, or whether you're just being sold a tremendous bill of goods by an international childhood rape conspiracy, and so like you're putting this imagery and this language together with the things that really do interest you and do move you passionately, which at that time is like the early blossomings of like sex and romance and stuff like that. And like, it it leads to like a weird fucked up blend. You like a, um, you know, like, like you got dipped in mutagen with some other animal and now you're like, you have two heads and one's a wild boar and, and the other one is human and, you're like some mutant from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Like it's, it's messed up. <laughs> this, see, this is how I know that like, even though I was technically raised Catholic, I was, it was very half-hearted right. in my family. And my, I, my, my experience with it is enough for me to be Catholic, but not like Catholic, not the way that you are. Our friend Rob Sheffield is, you know, yeah. uh, like if anything like this role has been that you're describing is played more by Chris Claremont comics, (laughs) which do do their own, do their own thing. I'd rather be from the church of Chris Claremont than the Catholic church. (laughs) You bowed down before the goblin queen. Naturally, naturally. I fit right in there. Uh, Yeah. I think we, we can we can we can finish this up here and just the the recording part because I think we basically have two Saturday episodes in the can now. Hey, good for us. Yeah, 
that you want to remind people uh, where they can find the Sean T. Collins experience? Yes, I'm at the Sean T. Collins. I'm on Twitter. I am. But 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 you but you're you you're a very light Twitter presence. Yeah, I try and keep it. I try and keep it low impact, and I I I get in there, I get out of there. No damage is done to me. You know, I'm just kind of bobbing and weaving. Um, but I'm also the Shanti on patreoncom slash the Shanti Collins. Uh, this is where the good that's stuff where the happens. Good, that's where the magic happens. And uh, I'm also I have a website shantycollins.com where you can find pretty much everything I write. I get a link to it there. And uh, as I said, at mzsworldstore.com, if you go to the best-selling books, you'll find Pain Don't Hurt, Meditations on Roadhouse by me. I hope yeah. You buy it. I mean, by the time this airs, they might be all gone. You don't want to get like the, the fourth pressing. Yeah. Yeah. We're getting there. So so act act in a hurry. Are, are, is every pressing going to have different uh, covers, basically? No. Uh, we did the initial run of hardcover, which is, I think, a, a run of, I want to say, 50 books. And then we did. I got one of those. Yeah, that's the. That's like the OG shit. Albeit the 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 U.S. Pub, the Postal Service absolutely wrecked my copy. But I'm I'm just grateful that if that had to happen to anybody, it happened to me. At least you got a book. You got a version of Pain Don't Hurt that looks like it was the bar's copy from Roadhouse. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I find it amazing that the U.S. Postal Service could like do that kind of damage to a hardcover book. It's wild. It's wild. I have another friend whose whose book was stolen off his front porch. So like you actually beat him in terms of the bad outcomes that I've seen uh, from this book. So. Yeah, I, I, I guess we should say uh, people will, are very unlikely to have my experience. Like you're, you're sending them out. You, know, you will almost certainly does. actually get the book that you ordered in the condition that you ordered it. Yes. Yeah, there is something funny about mine just being beaten the fuck. That is pretty funny. I feel bad that it was you of all people. I wish it was. No, no, it's fine because I feel like it'd be worse if it was like some person who didn't know you, who hadn't been friends with you for like well over a decade, who just bought a thing for like, that was the hardcover version. So that was a bit more expensive. You know, if they spent that money on like, oh, they they sent me like this beat up book, (laughs) you know, I feel like they would have been much less charitable. They would be very charitable. They probably would have like demanded a refund or, you know, you know. It's, it's, uh, I'm not going to demand a refund. I, I, I've got my my Sean T. Collins experience. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you, sir. I got the bar copy. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I got Dalton's own copy. It's lived in, man. It's been through some scraps with Dalton. Yeah, you got to take off your shirt and read the goddamn book like Dalton does when he's reading River Runs Through It in Roadhouse. He takes his shirt off to read. It's important. Hey, do you do most of your reading shirtless? I do most of everything shirtless, honestly. So. <laughs> Yeah, oh, that, that's why you're doing an erotic memoir. <laughs> Highly erotic. It'll be a journey. It'll be a, an erotic journey from Milan to Minsk. <laughs> All right, let's stop recording. Okay. <laughs>